Welcome to Sleep Cues, the everything baby sleep podcast. I'm Erin, pediatric sleep consultant and founder of The Happy Sleep Company. From catnaps to night wakes and regressions to teething, we cover all things baby sleep. With a passion for children's sleep, we're here to help tired families get healthy rest. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today is Q&A Tuesday. If you are brand new to the podcast and you decided that today was going to be your first crack at sleep cues and your first time just taking a listen and seeing what this podcast is all about, Q&A Tuesday happens every other Tuesday. So our podcast gets aired. We are a new episode every Tuesday. Every other Tuesday is Q&A Tuesday. So we take five questions that I've gotten usually in my DM box on Instagram and I pull those together and I give you the answers. And I try to pick questions that I think are questions a lot of parents might be having. They are questions that are specific to one mom or dad that they've asked me, but I know that I get this question a lot, or I know that I work with parents who struggle with a similar issue. So I'm hoping that my responses are going to help out the masses. Just so you know, on the other Tuesdays, you're either going to get out of this podcast, a solo episode with me where I tackle one specific topic. It might be teething. It might be a certain nap transition. We just recently did an episode on the transition from three naps to two. So every other Tuesday, you might get that or you're going to get an episode with me and a guest. And I love our guest episodes. We have had child psychologists talking about anxiety in children. We have had relationship experts talking about our relationships with our partners after our baby arrives and what that might look like and how we can prepare for that. We have had pediatricians talking about reflux in babies and when to consider transitioning your child to less milk in the day. We have had so many great guests. We have so many lined up for the future. So Keep tuning into Sleep Cues because we have a wealth of information for you from me, from guests, from lots of experts to help you through this infant and toddler journey. But today, Q&A Tuesday. So let's dive into the questions that I pulled together for today. It's kind of a mixed bag, but again, that's because I want to help out the greatest number of people with these answers. So the first one is actually about a 27-month-old. My 27-month-old, so that's two years and a few months old, takes two-hour naps every day when at home, but won't nap at her grandmother's house. Any tips? It's probably a combination of just being away from home and being a less familiar in a less familiar place, but also the room environment at grandma's house. I don't know for sure because I didn't hear from this mom about what exactly the room environment is about, but the room environment can play such a huge role in how easily our child goes down for sleep or how much difficulty they have. And so in this case, I would suggest we really need to take a close look at the room environment at grandma's house and see what that looks like and what we might be able to do or change to help this child not better at grandma's house. Is it super, super, super dark? Like, do we have blackout blinds and blackout curtains in the window? If not, can we take a portable blackout curtain to grandma's house for grandma to put up in the window when your toddler is trying to nap? This is going to help a ton. It's going to help anywhere because a 27-month-old's mind is going a 1,000 miles a minute in the middle of the day, and it's hard enough to nap to begin with. But if they are in a less familiar environment, it's going to help even more because it helps their mind just wind down, not have their eyes darting all over the room, thinking about what a weird, unfamiliar environment this is 
having their brains rubbed up even more. It just makes the room 100% dark, conducive to sleep, helps their brain wind down. So dark for sure. Is it quiet? Are there some unfamiliar sounds going on at grandma's house that might be disrupting your two-year-old from going to sleep? If so, consider a sound machine. Have grandma turn on a sound machine on a white noise setting. Usually the recommendation is we keep it under 50 decibels and we keep it five to 10 feet away from your child's head. But a sound machine on a white noise setting can really help to drown out, again, some of those unfamiliar sounds. It can help at home just to drown out familiar sounds that might be disturbing your child from going to sleep, like parents trying to watch a TV show before they go to bed, but your child is trying to fall asleep. Sound machine can help at home for that. But once again, it can help, especially in a less familiar environment like grandma's house, to drown out some of those external sounds, those unfamiliar sounds, and help your child fall asleep more easily. Also consider your child's sleep space, sleep structure at grandma's house. Is it a crib or a playpen? Or are we trying to get your 27-month-old to fall asleep on a queen-size bed when at home they normally have a crib? If so, we might want to consider purchasing a perfectly good, great condition secondhand crib or a new crib if you're up for it to have at grandma's house set up if your child naps there a lot. It's worth the investment if your child naps there a lot to have a really comfortable, familiar sleep space. And in my opinion, a 27-month-old has a lot of time left in a crib, so it would be worth it. And you could always sell it later to a friend who also needs an extra crib or a, a, a new used crib. Remember, always check to ensure that any crib you are buying secondhand is in good condition and still meets all safety standards, but you can certainly find some really good quality, almost perfect condition secondhand cribs as long as, again, we're meeting all safety standards. So those are some tips. Think about your child's sleep space. Is it dark? Is it quiet? Do they have a familiar feeling sleep structure like a crib or at minimum a pack and play, a play yard we often refer to them. So it feels more like a crib. It's a temporary crib option. And make sure they have the stuff they're used to at home, like a sleep sack if they normally sleep in a sleep sack, and their levy if they normally sleep with a levy. Those are some things that can help at grandma's house or any unfamiliar or less familiar environment for sleeping. The next question is about a 10-month-old. My 10-month-old goes down independently for all sleep, but wakes up at 4 a.m. every day for a feed to go back down. How do I get her to sleep through the night? While it is common that once a child can go to sleep independently for naps and go to sleep independently at bedtime, they will also begin to use those independent sleep skills to sleep through the night. We at the Happy Sleep Company have certainly seen lots of children who can sleep independently during the day, but do still wake up for what we refer to as sleep crutches during the night. And that is what sounds like is the case in this scenario. This child can go to sleep without sleep crutches in the day, but wakes up at four in the morning for a crutch. And that happens. It's become habitual. Generally, I would suggest that a 10-month-old who is a healthy weight can sleep through the night without needing a feed. Of course, that's always something you could check in with your doctor about before you remove the feeds. But in general, that's what we see when we are working with clients. We could suggest that this 10-month-old is waking up more habitually than because they need a feed at 4 a.m. And the answer to how to get the child to sleep through the night really is going to be some form of sleep coaching. When we're talking about sleep coaching, we're talking about removing that crutch and teaching your child not just going to sleep independently as this child already does, but also going back to sleep independently when they wake. And that doesn't mean just not feeding them and leaving them alone to cry with no support. That is not what sleep coaching needs to be. 
you might take an approach where you're with your baby the whole time until she falls back asleep, like a sit in the room approach where you offer reassurance and support, but you don't offer that feed if you're confident it's become a crutch that you need to remove to help your child sleep better. You might feel that's going to be too stimulating for your child, which it often is. A sit-in-the-room approach is often too stimulating for a child who already has some level of independent sleep skills like this child does. So we might take take more of a timed check-in approach where we check on baby, but then we leave, we give her some time, we check back again. And then we get very specific about how long are we going to leave the room for? How long are we going to go back in the room for? What are we going to do when we go in the room? So baby gets reassurance, but we're not using sleep crutches, nor are we overstimulating baby. But those are a couple of sleep coaching approaches you might take or you might consider that are not cry it out, i.e. just leaving your baby alone with no support because that's not what sleep coaching needs to be. The next question is about an older child yet. My two and a half year old has been waking up before 6 a.m. every day. He takes a two hour nap every day. Any suggestions to push out his mornings? One easy suggestion here. It, I mean, easy in that it might be a pretty easy, quick, magical solution for you is to cut that nap a little shorter. Generally, when we see a two and a half year old napping more than about an hour and a half in the day, we see them either have a struggle going to sleep at night or waking up earlier in the morning because they don't have enough of what we call sleep pressure. So normally a two and a half year old will need to have their nap capped at an hour and a half. I would suggest that if this mom is now seeing her two and a half year old wake before 6 a.m. every day, but he's having a two hour nap every day, cutting that daytime nap back to about an hour and a half is probably going to give him a little more sleep pressure on his night and help him sleep past 6 a.m. each day. Certainly never fix something that's not broken. So if you have a two and a half year old and you're listening to this and your two and a half year old takes a two to three hour nap every day and will still sleep 11, 12 hours every night, and sleep well past 6 a.m. the next day, don't fix something that's not broken. This is just a case where this mom is pointing out that her child is now two and a half years. He's waking up before 6 a.m. He has a two-hour nap. This would be a case where I would say cutting that nap a little shorter to about an hour and a half is probably going to help push out the mornings. Next question is about a six-month-old. And this mom says, how do I get my six-month-old to link sleep cycles? I'm trying not to sleep train if I don't have to. I thought this was a really interesting question. I wasn't really sure how to answer it because I'm a professional sleep coach. I'm a pediatric sleep consultant. Sleep coaching is what I help families with as my job every day. And so the idea, you know, I'm not, I'm trying not to sleep train if I don't have to. As a mom, I get that because you're thinking sleep training is going to be hard because any kind of change for my baby is going to cause protest and sleep coaching means change, a change to the way they go to sleep. And of course, we would always like to avoid protest in our little ones if we can. But if you have a six-month-old who is not linking sleep cycles, there are probably a few different reasons why that is happening. And most of them are going to be solved with some form of sleep coaching. So if your six-month-old needs rocking, feeding, a pacifier, or bouncing on a yoga ball in mom's arms to go to sleep and then always wakes up 30 to 40 minutes later in her crib, i.e. not linking sleep cycles, this is likely because she has sleep crutches to go to sleep. And when she's in a light stage of sleep around 30 to 40 minutes into her nap, she doesn't know how to get back to sleep because she didn't go to sleep on her own in the first place. So she doesn't have the skills to go back to sleep on her own now 40 minutes into the nap. 
This is where sleep coaching can help your baby learn to go to sleep independently and then also back to sleep independently when she's in a light stage of sleep and wakes up, i.e. between those sleep cycles and starts to link those sleep cycles. But again, this goes back to the idea that I understand why this mom is saying I'm trying not to sleep train if I don't have to, but that suggests to me that this mom thinks sleep training just means cry it out or extinction, where you just leave your baby alone to cry for huge extended periods of time without checking on them or being there for them. And that does not have to be what sleep coaching looks like. So I hope that parents aren't scaring themselves out of gaining better sleep skills for their child and gaining more sleep for their family because they think that sleep coaching can only be cry it out or extinction. Again, there are approaches where you can be there the whole time until your baby falls asleep. There are approaches where you can leave for short periods of time and then go back and remind your baby you're there for them. Have them hear your voice. Have them feel your touch. Be picked up for a hug if they need a hug. So knowing that, I hope that helps parents realize you don't have to be afraid of sleep coaching. It doesn't just have to be cry it out. It doesn't only have to be cry it out. It doesn't ever have to be cry it out if you don't want it to be. There are a lot of different approaches you can take. I would suggest in the case of the six-month-old, probably that's something that needs to take place in order for her to start to link those sleep cycles. A couple other things to keep in mind, though, totally outside of sleep coaching per se, is what is your six-month-old's wake window? If it's too short, she might not be linking her sleep cycles because she doesn't have enough sleep pressure. If it's too long, she might be overtired when she goes down for her naps, and that might be making it hard for her to link sleep cycles when she wakes up shortly into a nap. So getting those wake windows spot on can be very helpful. For a six-month-old, I would suggest about two to two and a quarter hours of awake time is pretty appropriate. Also consider for a six-month-old, how many feeds are you offering your six-month-old per wake window? Usually at this age, children aren't having any or a lot of solids yet. So because of that, because they have bigger wake windows than they used to when they were a newborn, but they aren't on the solids that they might be when they're like nine, 10 months old, I like to offer two feeds of breast milk or formula in a wake window. One at the beginning of the wake window when your baby wakes up for the day, when they wake up from their naps, we offer breast milk or formula. And then a little later in the wake window, if you're not yet offering any solids, I would offer a top-up breast or bottle feed to make sure that your baby is not hungry by the time nap time rolls around. That top-up feed, I would ensure it's finished at least half an hour before the next nap, so we're not getting any kind of feed sleep association, but we are getting calories closer to the nap, so we can ensure that hunger is not an issue that's causing your baby to wake up 30 or 40 minutes into a nap and not be able to link their sleep cycles. So those are a couple of things to keep in mind that are not sleep coaching per se, but are more about scheduling and feeding that may help your child link those sleep cycles. But again, if you're using sleep crutches to get baby to sleep, I would suggest that's probably the biggest reason they're not linking their sleep cycles. And you may need to look at some sleep coaching strategies or methodologies to help you out with that to get to the other side of that and get baby linking those cycles and having longer stretches of sleep. Final question for today relates to a lot of the things we've already talked about because this mom said to me in a DM on Instagram, cry it out worked for us as a sleep coaching strategy and got my baby sleeping through the night. But when does it stop? Do you do cry it out on any off day if baby is teething, etc.? This is why I don't use cry it out 
we at the Happy Sleep Company don't use cry it out as a sleep coaching strategy. This is not to say that I am judging any family who has used cry it out as a sleep coaching strategy. Sometimes a family tells me their pediatrician recommended that as a strategy. Sometimes a family tells me we did our research on this and we felt really comfortable with it. If that is what your family felt comfortable with and that is what you did and it worked for your family and you're all getting better rest and you did it in a healthy and safe way, then I'm not judging any family for using Cry It Out. But I am going to explain to you why I don't recommend it as a sleep consultant to my clients. And this question is exactly why. When does it stop? Do you do Cry It Out anytime you have an off day? Do you do cry it out if your baby is teething? And so this is why I would prefer a strategy when it comes to sleep coaching that involves being there for your baby, checking on your baby, making sure that you are not leaving baby alone for huge extended periods of time without support. Cry it out or extinction, if it works really, really quickly, like some families will tell me they just you know, left their baby for 10 or 20 minutes and they went to sleep and then they slept through the night and their sleep coaching was done and it was this magical experience. But if it doesn't and it takes longer than you expected and it's been going on for a much longer time than you anticipated and you're still doing cry it out and you're still doing extinction and your baby's not asleep yet, when do you stop? This is something you don't have to consider if you take an approach where you actually plan on being in the room with your baby, or you plan on timed intervals where you check on your baby and you plan on not leaving your baby for big extended periods of time. And you know exactly what you are going to do when you go to check on your baby, because you always planned on checking on your baby. The issue with cry it out that I see with many families who try it, who then come to me and tell me about their experience with it is that they give up because they heard from a friend that it only took 10, 15, 20 minutes and their baby went to sleep and that was their expectation. But when then when they tried it with their baby, it took a really long time and it, ultimately they just gave up because they saw no end in sight. They wanted to go check on their baby and make sure they were okay and give them a hug. But then when they went in to do that, they realized, well, now I'm not doing cry it out anymore. I'm not doing extinction. I gave up on that and I don't have a plan for what to do otherwise. So now I guess I'll just rock my baby to sleep again, which is what I was trying to avoid because I was trying to teach my baby to go to sleep a different way. So because we didn't have a plan other than cry it out or extinction, and then we gave up on cry it out or extinction because it got really hard and it took a really long time, we just give up on sleep coaching altogether. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, When families come to me and tell me they've tried cry it out, they often tell me they gave up on it because it was taking longer than they expected. Whereas when you have a strategy where you plan on checking on your baby, you plan on being there for your baby, you know exactly what you're going to do when you enter your baby's room, you're more likely to stick with it because you know your baby is okay. You can check that your baby hasn't soiled their diaper. You can check that your baby hasn't spit up and made a mess of their crib and needs their crib sheet changed or their face wiped. You can see these things when you check on your baby, when you take an approach to sleep coaching that is not cry it out. Whereas if you try cry it out, a lot of parents are just sitting in their living room wondering, have these things happened? And then getting really, really stressed because The cry it out approach doesn't allow them to check on their baby and check on those things. This is why I like an approach other than cry it out. And then to this mom's question, when does it stop? Do you do it on any off day? Do you do it if baby's teething? Well, 
I guess. I don't know. I don't do cry it out or extinction, but this is exactly why I don't. What if your baby is teething and they wake up in the middle of the night? What if your baby normally sleeps through the night, 12 hours straight, is an awesome sleeper, has done it for months, but then one night they wake up? And you're kind of like, oh, hmm, I think it's probably because he's teething because his cheeks have been really red the last couple of days and he's been drooling a ton and fussier. I think I saw him popping a tooth and I think that's what this is about. But if your only plan for sleep coaching is cry it out, then the idea would be that you don't go to your baby. And that's why I wouldn't recommend that because most parents are going to want to go offer a remedy like infant Tylenol, if that's something that their doctor has recommended as a pain remedy for their child. They're going to want to go in the room, give their babe a quick snuggle, offer that pain remedy to get rid of the discomfort, and then let them go back to sleep independently as they know how to do. But that parent is not going to want to just do cry it out if they know their baby's teething. Again, what if you wait 10 minutes in the middle of the night when your baby wakes up and you think they're going to go back to sleep on their own, but then they don't, even though they normally would? You want to go check and say, hey, maybe my baby just had a big poop in the middle of the night and I want to go check on that. I don't just want to do cry it out or extinction on an off night in case my baby's had a big poop and I don't want him to stay in that. So this is where I would say, no, I wouldn't want to do cry it out on any off night. I would want to take an approach where you can go check on your baby, see what might be going wrong, offer them some reassurance. So all of this to say, if cry it out worked for a family, which it does for many families, then I'm not judging that approach. I'm just explaining why I wouldn't suggest cry it out because of questions like this. You don't know when to stop. You don't know when to do something different. You don't know what to do on an off day. Even if your cry it out strategy initially quote unquote worked in the early days of sleep coaching, what if a month later you have an off day? Do you do cry it out again? How do you know if there's not something else going on? This is why I suggest that parents take an approach that involves checking on baby, being there with baby the whole time, whatever your approach might be, making sure it's one where you know you can go offer baby reassurance, check that there's nothing off or wrong, give your baby what they need, and then continue on with your sleep coaching strategy. So you as a parent are not left second guessing what might be going on in that room because you haven't allowed yourself a strategy where you can go check. That's the top five of the week, everybody. I know we focused a lot on sleep coaching strategies, but a lot of these questions were really conducive to that. It was really a conversation about when do you sleep coach? Why do you sleep coach? How do you sleep coach? What are some of the different methodologies? I know that's why a lot of parents follow us on Instagram and follow this podcast. We talk about so many things other than the actual strategies around sleep coaching, but At the end of the day, those strategies can be really important to families in determining what is right for their individual family unit, what feels good to them, comfy for them, right for their family, and what they feel confident is going to get them to the other side of the sleep challenges they might be having. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Sleep Cues, the Everything Baby Sleep Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with a mom or dad who might need some rest. Connect with us on Instagram at The Happy Sleep Company, and check out our website, thehappysleepcompany.com, for loads of blogs, sleep guides, and information about how we work with families one-on-one to get sleep on track.